Hello, it's Simon here. I'm joined by Mr Shimazu, Chief Executive Officer of the Rugby World Cup 2019 Organising Committee. Welcome. What we're going to start with is a question around your understanding of sport and diplomacy, how you see the two realms uh, working together. First of all, um, on a macro level, the the Japanese government, the relationship between the Japanese government and the uh, Rugby World Cup is that before we even started getting involved in a candidate process, before we even started saying, yeah, we want to host the World Cup and trying to bid for it, uh, we had to get uh, cabinet approval. So the cabinet and the government as a whole approved the um, idea of going into bid for the Rugby World Cup. Um, so that's happened with the Olympics and the Paralympics as well. It's exactly the same level of government approval that is needed to even kick off the process. So um, having got that approval and then having actually won the honour of um, hosting the 2019 Rugby World Cup, then we um, had special legislation. So the government enacted um, very special legislation giving uh, very details um, specific details about how they would support the Rugby World Cup. Same has happened with the Olympics and the Paralympics. There's again uh, special legislation that's been enacted giving uh, details of how those two mega events will be supported. Uh, within the central government, uh, it comes under the remit of the uh, Ministry for Education. Having said that, so the, the minister with special responsibility for the uh, Rugby World Cup 2019 is the Minister of Education. Having said that, it's not just one single single department that is involved in, in all of this. There's a framework that's been set up. Uh, so there's also the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and through the Ministry of Foreign Affairs we've got very strong relations with the embassies in various countries. And then we work as well with the Ministry of Home Affairs. And through that, the Ministry of Home Affairs in Japan is the central government department that administers local authorities and local governments. So we've got some very strong relations via the Ministry of Home Affairs into all the local authorities. Uh, that's the overall framework. Um, this has is the same as happened with other sports events in Japan in the past. Um, however, there's that framework in place, but the central government has taken the decision not to actually um, uh, invest any money directly into the uh, organising committee. So there's no money coming directly into the organising committee as such. There's no grants to, into the organising committee. My career, speaking on a personal level, uh, for over 40 years I've been a civil servant. I was in the Ministry of Home Affairs, um, but within that I was specifically in charge of, I worked all those years in sections that had very close relations with the local authorities, with local government. Um, so I've hardly, within those roles, I never really had much contact with, uh, direct contact with rugby. But um, with the World Cup, we have 12 venues stretching from the north all the way down to the south. All of those venues are actually owned by local governments. Um, so uh, there are various, uh, there are 19 local authorities that administer those venues. And from my point of view, what we are doing here is we've got a team together. So I, that's why I think I was picked to come and work with the organising committee is because I've built up over the years a very good relationship with all those local authorities. And going forward, without those local authorities, we cannot make a success of the Rugby World Cup. So my vision is that they are part of the team. It's a bit like a, a three-legged race. We're all bound together. Um, but it will be much smoother than a three-legged race can sometimes be. Uh, we are working together to coordinate all our efforts 
and make sure that it will be a huge success going forward. And that's, I think, one of the major differences, perhaps, one of the big current differences between our organising committee and previous organising committees. So our model here in the uh, Rugby World Cup organising committee for 2019 is completely different to the model that was adopted for the 2015 Rugby World Cup. With the 2015 Rugby World Cup, the RFU uh, managed to get a lot of revenue from tickets and they used all that revenue from ticketing to run the um, the whole event. Um, and from what I understand, they've got uh, quite a lot in ticket revenue. It's record-breaking from what I've heard. So, But our, our model is completely different to that. So uh, one of our catchphrases, buzzwords for this whole uh, 2019 Rugby World Cup is groundbreaking. It's going to be a groundbreaking tournament. And one of the aspects in which it will be groundbreaking is the financial model. So uh, with the financial model, uh, I've said earlier, (laughs) um, I said earlier that it was um, England 2015, Uh, their major source of revenue was ticketing. But in Japan, we cannot rely only on the ticketing revenue. For example, a stadium are very different sizes. So the stadium in England are are massive. Our average, we do have some very big ones in 2019, but the average size, if you look across the board, is 30,000, 40,000. So there's no way we could get um, the same level as income from ticketing that 2015 was able to achieve. So we are looking at a different financial model and we've got three other areas where we're getting support. One is from the local authorities, and that could be direct support, um, but also local authorities are able to issue lotteries. Um, So all the local authorities can issue lottery tickets. So we're getting some financial revenue through that. Also, government support. Government is also able to issue lottery tickets and national lottery funding that will go straight into um, Rugby World Cup organising committee. And then we're also inviting companies um, to uh, help support the uh, the, the organising committee. So they're within that corporate section. There are two categories really. There's the major, really big top top flight uh, companies. Uh, they already sponsor some teams within our rugby league. It's called the top league in Japan, uh, but not only those teams are also com- um, sorry, not only those companies, but other companies that haven't really perhaps been at the forefront of rugby sponsorship in the in the past are now coming forward to um, help us financially with the organising committee. Uh, but also local companies, not just the big major companies, but also the, the, the companies that are based around some of the venues. So it will be a very different, a very new, groundbreaking financial model. Yeah, so in the early days when we were saying to World Rugby, which is the governing body for uh, the Rugby World Cups, you know, this is this is our financial model, this is what we want to do. They were going, wait a minute, guys, you can't possibly get all the money for all this just from that kind of revenue. Look, I think it's actually on the paper there, there's some of the, uh, the tournament fee here. So the tournament fee is what we as an organising committee must pay to World Rugby after the tournament is over um, to thank them for the honour of hosting the Rugby World Cup. Uh, it's 96 million pounds in British money. Um, and I think World Rugby were a little bit nervous that they wouldn't actually see see the money coming through. But uh, we've spent a lot of time explaining the situation to them. We've spent a lot of time talking through all the various details with them. And I think World Rugby now is recognising that it is a stable way of securing the income for the Rugby World Cup. Does that provide a legacy that Japan 2019 will give to World Rugby? And equally, in, um, to the extent that Mr. Shimazu perhaps sees himself as a sports diplomat in the role that he undertakes. 
Regarding legacy, I, I said earlier that um, there are many aspects of this Rugby World Cup that are groundbreaking. Um, one of them is that it's the very first one ever to be held in Asia. Of course, it's the first one in Japan, but more importantly, it's the first one ever to be held in Asia. It's also the first one to be uh, first Rugby World Cup to be held since uh, Rugby Sevens has been incorporated as an Olympic sport. So there are various aspects that make it particularly um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, so up until now, um, that we kind of got a bit of a feeling that the Tier One countries or the rugby developed rugby nations had been kind of taking it in turns to, to host a rugby World Cup. But um, our leader, uh, is a gentleman called Mr. Mori, who used to be Prime Minister of Japan, and he has been the driving force between. Get- for getting the uh, Rugby World Cup hosted in Asia. And he has many, many times said to us, to rugby, to the rugby community, how can you develop rugby if you're going to continue having it in Tier 1, continue having the Rugby World Cup in Tier 1 countries? You've got to have it in Asia, you've got to have it in America, you've got to have it in different countries around the world so that you can develop the sport further. And that, for us, having the Rugby World Cup in Asia will, will leave a very lasting legacy for the sport throughout the continent. Um, and just a few more uh, specific examples, really, of how the legacy will, uh, of how we're promoting the legacy, is one is we're really promoting children's tag rugby in primary schools, secondary schools in Japan, so that children really learn to, to develop a love of the game. Um, so that's within Japan on a domestic level looking outside into the rest of the other Asian countries. The Japanese Rugby Football Union has been working very hard with us in the organising committee and we've set up a programme called Impact Beyond. And within that Impact Beyond programme, our target is to encourage one million new, uh, one million young people in Asia to develop a love for rugby. And on a personal level, uh, you asked about whether I, I view myself as a diplomat. Well, when I was at school, foreign languages weren't really my strong point, and that's why when I joined the civil service, I particularly chose to join one that was concentrated on domestic affairs and the Ministry of Home Affairs to, to get away from all that kind of international kind of language-speaking kind of stuff. Um, but here I am now, um, 2019 Rugby World Cup, and to be honest, through this work now, I've got to know many, um, many uh, foreign uh, many ministries from other diplomats from different countries, working with non-Japanese people um, like Nicholas and Hillary, um, and it has uh, been a real uh, a pleasure to be able to work with this. And I'm now saying to my grandchildren, "Come on, guys, you've got to study study languages so that you can have this kind of same feeling that you you're um, you're becoming more international." So Hillary. <laughs> for example, um, worked on the 98 Winter Olympics in Nagano and then in the 2002 FIFA World Cup that was co-hosted between Japan and Korea. And now she's working with me on the, the Rugby World Cup. So there are many people who have a wide variety of experience that we can work with together. Um, there's also, today we've got a lunch reception that we're, we're hosting together with the Embassy of Japan in the UK. And we, all the diplomats... Everybody is working together as a team. So I don't necessarily view myself as a, as a diplomat, but um, I've not got that background. But what we, with the area we are working in is diplomacy. Um, and everybody is working together as a team.
Thank you very much. I'm uh, very pleased to have had the yeah, chance to. <laughs> I'm the diplomat, he says. <laughs> very possibly, very possibly. And, and being at SOAS, I would certainly agree with the advice to your grandchildren. Yes. yes um, which I fail in myself, but nevertheless. Um, but thank you very much for your time. Um, I think it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you.